Hello, sports fans, and welcome to another edition of Yesterday Sports on the Sports History Network. And make sure to check out sportshistorynetwork.com slash giveaways. I have two signed books I'm giving away. One is titled No Nonsense Old School Weight Training, and the other is Reliving 1970s Old School Football. Times of seasons past, when 22 men graced the record fields of yesterday, fighting for one more first down, one more yard gain, one final score which would bring victory after 60 minutes of battle on the gridiron. Tonight, we'll explore the world of gridiron greats. Welcome to gridiron greats football history and its memorabilia on the gridiron greats podcasting and publishing network in conjunction with Swick Enterprises. We're live from the Wallingford, Connecticut home of Gridiron Greats Magazine, and I'm Bob Swick, publisher and editor of Gridiron Greats Magazine, and I'll be your host for the show. Gridiron Greats is the only publication in America which focuses upon the history and memorabilia of the North American football game since its inception in 1869. We cover 140-plus years of football history and memorabilia. Find us at the web, on the web at www.gridirongreatsmagazine.com. It's at this time I'd like to introduce my co-host. He's a senior contributing writer to Gridiron Greats Magazine, a football memorabilia historian, specializing in pre-World War II items, in particular Red Grange, and also Seattle Seahawk items, in particular Steve Larkin. He hails from Portland, Oregon, Mr. Joe Spires. Joe! Welcome to the show. Uh, Captain, you are in rare form today. Your football, you know, enunciation, your salutation was off the charts, sir. Uh, <laughs> Thank you, Joe. I'm excited. We Thank got you. a good guest. We got a good guest today. We got some good topics. Uh, I'm excited for today's show, Captain. Good. Good. And we're going to lead right off in our preliminary uh, discussion. We're going to talk about the upcoming National Convention. It's going to be in yep. Rosemont, Illinois, yep. which is right outside of Chicago. Yep, yep. And, and I will be set up again, as usual, with uh, Josh Adams' sports card. I do believe, though, MSB and BSD auctions will not be set up at the show this year because of uh, several oh, different oh. scheduling issues. Um, I know the kids on both sides of the family the kids have a lot, a lot of activities, a lot of sports going on, a lot of tournaments going on, so I don't think they can make it, but we'll see what happens, but I'll be there, I'll be there with Josh, and uh, we'll be set up, and hopefully I'll be seeing uh, uh, many, many subscribers and many new individuals who are going to be reading Gridiron Greats for the first time. And speaking of, uh, speaking of personal life getting in the way of hobby, uh, I'm missing the national this year because a very dear friend of mine is getting married. You guessed it, Saturday, or whatever it is, August third, and uh, it's in Central Oregon, so it's five hours from Portland. No airport around. I kicked around going to Chicago like on a Wednesday morning, flying back on a Friday, and it's just one of those where I'm like, I'm making a lot of effort just to go, you know, have some pizza with some friends, you know. Uh, so unfortunately, I'll be missing again. I'll be missing this year, Captain. 
But next year, don't forget, it will be in Atlantic City. And um, oh, is it really? Part of the AC? I didn't know that. Oh, yeah, I didn't know it was an AC. And then the uh, year after that, I believe it's Cleveland, and then the year after that's back in Rosemont, Chicago area. So I like Atlantic was, City, obviously. How, yeah, how was that national? Uh, I missed that one. Well, it was. It's a much different crowd, a much different group of. Uh, not all the national dealers end up going out there because for the West Coast guys, it's a that's a haul to say the least. Uh, a lot more East Coast dealers were there. Obviously, because it's much closer for us to go there, and because of it, um, you saw a, a pretty good, you know, selection of East Coast dealers there, to say the least. So, I mean, for me, it was only like a four and a half hour, no, not, not even that much, probably a four hour ride from uh, here. So it wasn't bad at all, and um, it, it was it was interesting. It was in, it was an interesting show to say the least. But um, that's next year. This year I'll be in Chicago, so I got to fly out there. And lug a uh, bunch of stuff and ship a bunch of stuff out. So the logistics of it are a little more difficult. One of my favorites. At, I, I do Louisiana. like uh, the Chicago Nationals. I, I think my favorite national was Baltimore. I really loved that setup. Baltimore was, was very, very convenient for a lot of people because the way, the way it was set up, I mean, you were right there at the convention center, depending on where you stayed. I mean, those three, four hotels yep. right there. And I and I, for some reason I just think Baltimore is laid out was laid out better than in Chicago. Chicago seems vast to say the least. I mean that's that's, that's a hike to get around everything and see everything at the show. You know what I mean? So uh, it's it's a different different ball game going there. Cleveland is Cleveland. Uh, you know I think Cleveland is relatively <laughs> laid out. Unfortunately, it's in the middle of nowhere. So depending on yeah. where you're staying. You, you, you got a challenge to get there and get home every night, and uh, that was my challenge yeah. last year, staying downtown Cleveland. Although I'm glad I did because I got to see uh, the Brown Stadium and the Little Browns Museum there uh, before the show started. But at the same time, it was uh, a good 45 minutes there and coming home every day uh, from the show. Oh, wow. So it was a little different, a little different. But it is what it is. It's, it's the national. Uh, be very happy to see. Uh, people I only see once a year and see the, the uh, Midwest dealers that just go to the Chicago show. It should be an interesting yeah, uh, yeah. Four, four days for me, to say the least. Yeah. So, and I've had a couple people joke around with me where it's like, what kind of friend has his wedding on the, you know, on the, the weekend of the national? And uh, well, I didn't, friend I didn't want to bring, oh, I didn't want to bring that up. But, uh, <laughs> I, that, I was kind of concerning for me that knowing how valuable you are to the hobby and how you look forward to going out there. <laughs> and then he decides to schedule his wedding just happened to yeah, be yeah. on Hall of Fame induction weekend and the national convention <laughs> at the same time. I, I, I you know, uh, I, uh, I kind of would question my, what I put in the envelope for that couple. That's all I can say. So, my, uh, uh, <laughs> that's a good way to put that it up. My wife has That's a friend who got like had an engagement party on Super Bowl Sunday once. Oh, I remember getting the invite. I'm like, uh, and I'm like, sweetie, look at this. That's, That's Super Bowl holiday. Sunday. And she's like, oh, yeah. And she's uh, my wife's like, oh, I didn't even notice that. I'm like, well, have fun at your friend's, you know, wedding shower. I'm not, I'm not going to that. I mean. That's oh, well. a 48-hour time period in my life where, yeah. I mean, there's nothing that occurs yeah. other than the Super Bowl, the preparation for the party no, here or wherever we're going and the like. And, wow, that, that's yep. that's almost sacrilegious to, to do something yeah. like that. Her, her. Um, yeah, if, yeah. But her, anyway. Yeah. Hey, you, 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 you told me not to sweat this, but I wanted to give you a shout-out. You sent me a really nice little uh, gift package last week. Uh, including a Seattle Seahawk 1989 yearbook and then a printer's uncut sheet of 1963 tops. I just wanted to say thanks. Uh, that was very gracious You're of you. I uh, looked through this 89 Seahawk book, and inside of it, like Brian Bosworth, Steve Largent's last year, Dave Craig. Yep. Yep. It was just so fun to look through this. It was such a trip through time 30 years ago. Well, I, I figured you would enjoy it because, A, it is the last year of Largent, and it was uh, Boz's uh, debacle year there in Seattle. So it was, to me, it's a historical yeah. uh, yearbook. 
And the um, yeah. substitute cops, uh, she uh, was one of my picks going uh, antique hunting down here on the uh, shoreline in Connecticut. And I was kind of shocked when I saw it in the uh, display case at this uh, antique co-op uh, place we go yeah. to. So I picked it up, and I kept you in the back of my mind. I knew you would enjoy it, so I'm glad. I'm glad. <laughs> I will Obviously, the Seattle Seahawks. Oh, sorry, go ahead. I, I hopefully I'll have some reports from the national. We'll see what happens if I can if I can broadcast live there. We'll see. Last time I was there, I had some uh, Wi-Fi issues, so I don't know what will happen. I may end up at the uh, Hilton lobby there doing the show uh, at very late at no. night. So we'll see what happens. All right. At this time, our special guest is here, and I don't want to waste any more time because I know he has he has a very busy schedule. I'd like to welcome our special guest to the show tonight, Miss Collection was featured in Gridiron Grace Magazine back in our fall 2016 issue, and it's also been displayed at the Professional Football Hall of Fame in Canton, Ohio. We assembled it with Mr. Dan Hunt. It is one of the greatest football card collections ever assembled in our hobby. And I'd like to welcome to our show this evening, Mr. Robert Castling. Robert, thank you for being on. Oh, you're welcome, guys. Thank you for having me. We really appreciate you taking time out to to talk with us. And I'm going to lead off by asking you, what's your background in collecting as far as football cards is concerned, if you could tell our audience? Well, I mean, you know, as a a kid growing up in the 80s, I never collected cards from the 80s. I was always, um, you know, buying, you know, cards or finding cards, um, you know, from the 50s and 60s, a lot of baseball cards as well. And, the the biggest problem I you know I realized you know later in life is you know when you handled them and you actually you know wanted to read them and and were excited about them you were you were almost destroying them so um, huh. you know Good looking point. back at some of the early cards I had from the you know 60s 70s 50s you know they're 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 abused but they're they're still emotional and sentimental to me so you know I've always had the the card collecting bug um, it just wasn't fully recognized or realized until, you know, I got a little bit older and, and had a little more money to spend on, uh, on cards. So you've been a collector all of your life then? Oh yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm in the art business. Uh, I, at one point early on, I assembled the largest collection of, uh, Charles Schultz Snoopy artwork in the world, which I, I ended up wow. selling and, and donating to the Schultz Museum in uh, Santa Rosa, California. Unbelievable! Wow, it, it's funny. If you, uh, this is this is Joe uh, uh, Squires. Thanks a lot for coming on, by the way, Robert. I really appreciate it. No, no uh, problem. Thanks for inviting yeah. me, Joe. Yeah, uh, it's it's fascinating because if you take a demographic of most collectors, it's that it's you know you collected as a kid. Uh, somewhere along high school, you discover girls, you stop collecting, and then somewhere in your late 20s, early 30s, something is a catalyst to get you back into collecting, you know? Yeah, and I don't know what it was. I think, I, you know, I've always been excited about classics. I mean, I'm, you know, my first car was a 66 Chevelle Malibu convertible. Um, just recently, I spent three years building a 1927 Ford Hot Rod which, you know, I put a 32 frame, I put a 48 flathead V8 in it. And, uh, you know, I'm, <clears throat> I love things that are historic. And I, I really was always about preserving things for the, like the next generations. And one day I remember, I think I was on eBay, believe it or not. And a 1948 Sid Luckman PSA eight was uh, offered for sale. And I started doing a little bit of research, and I was like, wow, this is a really rare card. Um, and I thought, you know, it's X amount of dollars, and I thought, wow, it'd be kind of cool to, to buy maybe four or five or six w- great cards, football cards, because I'm, I'm a little more passionate about football as, as ever than I ever was in baseball. And I always felt like football cards were a better value. I felt like long-term – they may even someday outperform a lot of the baseball cards that people are collecting. So I went about buying the 48 Luckman and, you know, a few other ones, which I'm happy to talk about later on. And then um, I guess, you know, things got out of control 
<laughs> so you have the uh, the name of your collection is the Hunt Casterline uh, collection. Uh, first of all, how do you know Dan Hunt, one of the owners of the Kansas City Chiefs, and then how did that conversation get started to to start putting together one of the greatest Hall of Fame rookie card collections in existence? Well, I mean, it's it's officially called the the Hunt Casterline Pro Football Hall of Fame collection. So we we were able to get the Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton to give us a license designation for the collection forever. So it's it's kind of nice that they they were willing to put their name on this collection. That's how proud of it they were in seeing that it got assembled. Um, wow. The way I met Dan is about 15, 16 years ago. He came into my art gallery in Aspen, Colorado. <clears throat> that was one of my first galleries, and I was doing a lot of like limited edition prints by Andy Warhol and a few other artists. And um, not knowing, you know, it's probably even closer to 20 years now, but let's not let's not get that far back. Um, <laughs> and 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 you know, and he was a lot younger than me. I think Dan's probably about. 10 to 12 years younger than me. And he, um, he said to me, he said, look, I, I, I'm really interested in the Andy Warhol um, Cowboy and Indian series. And, and right before Warhol passed away, he did a series of prints with cowboys and Indians. So once again, not knowing his family or who he was and Google didn't exist. So it was perfect. I could, I could actually get to know somebody for who they were as opposed to who the media and social media said they were. So and we we started talking. He ended up buying one or two of the Indian prints, and then about two months later, he called me and he said, "Hey, Robert," he says, "I want more of the Warhol Indian prints." And I said, "You know, I said they're okay." I said, "But there's better Andy Warhols out there if you're going to invest your money." And anyway, Dan was like probably 19 or something at the at the time, and he said, "Look," he said, "My dad owns the Kansas City Chiefs." And I want to buy them for the offices or for my office or something. And I, I said to him, I said, well, let's get you everyone that he ever did then. So it was, <laughs> it was my way of being shut up by him real quick. <laughs> so, so how did, how did that conversation start? You, you, you mentioned it's the pro football hall of fame collection. I mean, obviously, you know, having the last name of hunt, with uh, Kansas City Chiefs and your business card really gets you an introduction to the Hall of Fame. I mean, what's the Hall of Fame's involvement? Is it financial or just support? Or And then just, how did the conversation start with Dan Hunt? Just support. I mean, the thing is, it's funny because um, someday I'll write a book about it, but uh, Clark Hunt, Dan's brother, was very instrumental because for about six or seven years now, Dan and I have been buying and putting this collection together really doing it privately. We couldn't really let anybody know what we were trying to accomplish because number one, prices would have gotten out of control, and two, a lot of people would choose not to sell for whatever reasons. Mm -hmm. So we had to keep it private, and about four years ago, Clark Hunt, Dan's brother, um, was at a game, I, I, I want to say in Oakland, I, I just don't quote me on that, and um, he, he, he was there with Joe Horrigan of the Pro Football Hall of Fame, who's who just retired and probably one of the nicest guys I've ever met and just a wonderful old school person who I, I consider a good friend. And, uh, you know, Clark said, Hey, Joe, I, I think my brother and this guy from Colorado are putting a, a, a collection together. That's, that seems pretty special, but Clark wasn't even involved. So at the Super Bowl in Arizona, um, Joe agreed to meet with me and Dan and I, you know, I literally printed out most of the cards in the collection, or at least had a description of what the collection was entailing. And uh, he was just blown away. He said, Robert, he said, you know, what you and Dan have put together is, is, is something that's historic. It's something that, you know, ultimately could be priceless because it, it most likely won't be able to be put together again for a lot of different yeah. reasons, not only financial, a lot of different reasons. And, um, that's when he decided that they wanted to exhibit it in Canton at the pro football hall of fame. And for part of our negotiations, because Dan and I aren't making any money on it, we we just asked that they would designate it this collection in case we ever wanted to send it to other museums or, or you know schools or any fields. And, and they, after a little right. bit of time, agreed. So you and Dan are sitting around having a beer, talking, looking at this 48 League Sid Luckman card, and suddenly he goes, you know what, we should put this. Put, assemble one of the best football card collections ever put together. I mean, who floated the idea and who, yeah, that, that's, 
that's what I'm curious about is the collaboration. That's fascinating. Well, I, I started buying them the cards and you know and you know, I I started realizing soon, you know, I went through my five cards for my kids that turned out to ten cards and now we're we're already getting into the, the you know the big numbers. And I, I yeah, then call, yeah. I, I called Dan up and I said, Hey, you're sitting down. <laughs> he, 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 he said, yeah, why? I said, look, I said, you know, I'm not an actuary and I, I'm not the greatest math scholar, but I think, you know, over time and over these big collections were coming up for sale. Like the guy that owned a collection called the fight for old DC, he was, he sold his yeah. collection off. A lot of these guys were yeah, selling John their collections. Isaacson. John Isaacson. Yeah, and it, it was right when I started, yep. all these collections were coming available at the right time. And I said, look, I said, if there's a little window for us, it's not going to be inexpensive. I mean, we, we knew how what the costs were. I mean, we, we have two Nagurski 8s that we paid 100 grand a piece for. So, you know, our, I mean, but I paid 50000 for my name. It's nine. You know, I paid 20000 for my um, Staubach. 10 and my Bradshaw 10 and these are all the pro football Hall of Fame rookie cards so they were expensive at the time but now that looks like uh, the biggest bargain I ever got so without a doubt yeah I said look it's going to cost us X amount of millions I can't do this on my own I said if you're interested in doing it I'll devote the time we split it 50-50 equal so it wasn't like he was funding it or I was putting in the money and I said you know let's make this a passion and if we can't accomplish it. We'll both end up with a great collection for our kids someday. So it never was done for financial gain. It was very expensive. You know, it was one of those things that, you know, there was a great article written in the Dallas paper about this collection where in, in the late 60s, early 70s, Dan's father, um, he said, Dan's told the story, he said, my dad invested as a partner in the Chicago Bulls. And he said, back then, we had a, a losing team, and he said it was costing my dad and my family a lot of money every year. And, and every now and then, the other partners would call my dad and ask for money. And I never fully understood what my dad was going through until I partnered with Robert Casterline on buying this collection. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great. That's funny. I can see those late-night texts. Those you late do? Night texts, yes, send you know, money. Hey, send hey, money. Hey, Dan. My wife's still convinced I only have $40,000 into the whole collection. <laughs> I, I had the mail carriers getting angry with me. The mail carriers actually knocked on our door and said, look, we're sending way too many pieces and packages to your house. Is there something going on? It became, it became obsessive compulsive, but we were able to finally accomplish it. Knock on wood, you know? <laughs> wow. Unbelievable. What, uh, Robert, what, what was the hardest card to obtain in the collection? And can you give us a little background on why was it so difficult? Yeah, you know, I, read, I you know, I, I to, to think about that, it's so difficult. I mean, it's every every card is hard, you know, to be honest with you, because every card, if it's at an auction, it's hard. You're bidding against other people that are equally passionate. If If it's owned by a person who you're talking to, it, it's hard for them to part with it. It's hard for them to put a dollar amount. That first Sid Luckman, I paid, I think, twenty or $25,000 for it, but I knew the guy that owned it originally paid like $75,000 for it. That was a fight for old DC piece. So like, I was yep. buying things at a, a bargain at that point because I don't think the market was there yet. And so the first piece was difficult because it was a big financial commitment. And then the last piece I got, I think the 48 Nomalini PSA 8 Leaf, was the hardest card to find. It really was one of those things that was just such a challenge. And when I finally purchased that, it was the last card that made the collection, the Pro Football Hall of Fame rookie card collection, every card PSA 8 or higher. Wow. That is a hard card to find. What is that, a pop like two in PSA 8? Yeah, and the other one I've never seen come on the market. Yeah, ditto. That's, a, that's, that's amazing. incredible. Amazing. Amazing. It's, it's interesting. I collect uncut sheets, and I've got a Series 1 uncut sheet of 4-Day Leaf, and seeing how they lay out on the sheet really 
lets you know why there's certain cards that are incredibly rare. And that, that Nomalini is probably one of the toughest. All, all the Series 2 ones are. Yeah, I mean it's it's pretty wild. I mean it really is. It's it's you know and and then you know and then we we do collect. We bought a lot of the concepts. We have a ton of uncut sheets from the 30s and 40s, um, you know 50s. We have a lot. I mean we you know unopened boxes. We probably have you know 50 to 100 unopened boxes from the the 60s. Not many 60s, 70s, 80s. I mean we we also bought a collection of every card ever produced from 1970 to like two years ago. And, you know, a lot of those were just in folders, but we, we bought those for archives. You know, there's, I, I do have a lot of, um, you know, uniforms that were worn for the cards, the actual jerseys that were worn when the cards were being, you know, the photos were being taken, which is crazy because a lot of the uniforms or jerseys they were wearing weren't even their numbers. They were just random jerseys thrown to these guys. So like, you know, meeting a lot of the players over the years, I've gotten great, you know, great stories and feedback. Um, And, you know, and I think that's where like even the Bowman's, the, the 48, I think the 48 Bowman's had like little gifts that you could send the rappers in to get the gifts. I spent Mm -hmm. like two years finding all those little gifts little dogs and little shamrocks and little rings. I mean, just crazy historic stuff that I, I really spent a lot of time trying to add to the collection. Incredible. Wow. wow. I, you know, it's, it's fascinating, Robert. Cause I just, I always, I just, I know you've got, you know, a, you know, no pun intended hall of fame caliber football card collection. But just to hear you talk about the breadth of everything else that you have, uncut sheets to boxes to, you know, to to jerseys, that's incredible. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, the the, the, the lid to the ice cream where you used to pull the lid off and it was the Nagurski <laughs> PSA 8. I mean, yeah. do you know how hard it is to find a lid to an ice cream container never used? I mean, well, you yeah. know, like – all the early you know, star cards, and I, I just really went to historic. I always was thinking historic, pre you know pre nineteen hundreds. I love, um, you know, I just I really was passionate about like about like the history and putting something together that would tell a complete story more than just buying cards. You know, I just to to buy the most expensive cards. I mean, the the two most expensive I ever bought was the uh, the Jim Brown nine rookie and the Bart Starr nine rookie. I mean, that was. They were probably half a million dollars, those two cards together. So, you know, it, it wow. and, and now it's to the point where I don't think I'm going to continue chasing expensive cards. I think I did, I wanted the best examples of the highest, like, you know, graded cards by the best players. And I've kind of gotten to the point now where unless something real special shows up, I don't, I don't feel like I have to chase it, you know? Wow. Well, there's, that, uh, there's, that, there's, there's really not that much more you can chase. I mean, it's just a, it's an incredible, incredible story of tying all the other, you know, peripheral items with the cards themselves, which make it so special. And uh, I do appreciate what you said, though, to make it a, a historical collection and trace the history of what was available at that time, so on and so forth. For example, the trinkets and the 48 Bowman set. And I'm sure, other, you know, the inserts and all the other things that were available at the time. So that, that that's amazing. It really is. Yeah, like there's even a little kid's plastic helmet that a company came out with in 1949. And on the box are all the 1948 football cards from Leaf. Right. Right. Like it's, you know, like all that stuff, like people, you know, I just always felt they, they needed to, to see it. And, and anything that had a card involved and, you know, from what the Hall of Fame is exhibiting, I, I, there, there's probably twice as much card things and cards that I haven't been able to exhibit. But the way they displayed them yeah. was wonderful with, you know, the, the the clear walls with the front and the back of the cards showing. And we mm-hmm. we spent a lot of time getting like the lowest possible light. We we got lights that they use at the Smithsonian so that there would be no like fading or aging of the cards over the time. But I think the collection's coming down in August or September of this year, right after the induction ceremony. Okay. Wow. Uh, Curious, Robert, if you have any, uh, like, fun stories to tell about, you know, assembling this. I mean, you, you, don't, you don't put a, 
you don't put a, a collection like this together without some sort of fun story, you know, chasing somebody down in, a, in an airport, you know, to meet them, to grab a card, something like that. No, I mean, it's not it, – it's. <clears throat> I made a lot of good friends. I mean, I've talked to a lot of people. I've gotten their stories. Um, it, it, <clears throat> it With with this, you know, collection, it was waiting for the phone call, waiting for the yes. But, like, in terms of, like, like that, you know, that that funny story, I don't think so. I think more than anything it's endearing because I, I met a lot of great people. I think it's a – I will tell you one thing, though. I've, I've never been – I've never been um, – I don't know what the word to use is like ripped off. I've never sent money to, for to a card for a card to somebody and knock on the card or I've never had any kind of like shenanigans pulled by anybody. The the one thing about this this hobby that I I have learned which I didn't know this 10 years ago, it's a pretty admirable hobby of of really good people. Um I do have a good story. I've always used my wife's eBay account to buy these cards. So some of the collectors that were selling me the cards were convinced that they were being bought by a Danielle Castor line. And some guys ended up calling my wife thinking she, that she's a big football card collector. And they'd, they'd say, hey, oh, I, are you excited about the card I sent? I saw you online. I looked you up. I can't believe you collect football cards. And she's like, look, <laughs> I'm married, and it's my husband buying the cards, guys. Sorry. <laughs> so that's probably the funny story because they, a lot of these guys couldn't believe, uh, you know, good-looking girls collecting all these football cards, you know. But that's, yeah. I, I think that's Pretty the funniest rare. story I got. And, and I, I will add, us football card collectors are a, a, a pretty good bunch. We're, we're pretty respectful of each other. You don't get a lot of those, uh, you know, the, the Internet bravado, you know, kind of thing. Yep. Uh, we're pretty honest. I've, I've shipped, you know, you know, very expensive cards without receiving payment for it, too. Yeah, it, it's, and that is the beauty of it is getting to know people and, and those offline deals, you know, where just somebody takes your word at it. You know, it's just I, I do love that about our audience. Yeah, and, and the owners of the auction houses are great. Mile High, he's great. You know, I mean, Memory Lane, great. Love of the Game, great. The, the owners of these companies are great. They're passionate. They, you know, I, I, I actually met a lot of them. You know, I have driven to be – I spend a lot of time meeting big collectors and meeting a lot of the owners of the auction houses more than, like, trying to hunt a card down. Like, I just always felt that if they, they knew who I was and they – you know, some of them knew what I was accomplishing and they gave me their word that they wouldn't put it out there, they – some of them I really believe really wanted Dan and I to put this collection together. Once they heard my reasoning, uh, they they really got excited about it. And you know, and there's always a couple haters out there. I mean, I've had you know people say, oh, it's a it's not it's you know it's a shallow collection, or they you know the right. you know articles have come out where it's like the, the the most you know valuable, or it's every highest graded card in history, and then people write in and say, oh, it's not, and it, you know, there's always going to be that, but it, it really was done for a genuine purpose, and and hopefully, you know, I, it, it could end up at a museum or could end up at the Hall of Fame, where where I I like That's when that. people look at a card. And they all have a story, like when, you know, I wasn't at the, you know, a, a 68 Super Bowl, but there's somebody looking at one of those cards and they're talking about the game when they were there with their father. It's just, it really is a history of the game. And to see, to see these players in their prime, in their youth, it's pretty amazing. And, and the stories they tell me when they point at their card or they hold their card up with me, and I've gotten a few of them, um, they're they're real special so yeah it's a it's a great great bunch of collectors and it's a great hobby and i have nothing but praise for the the hobby as a whole must have been baseball card collectors that were giving you grief us football guys don't do that <laughs> hey look they have a lot more money they're <laughs> i don't i don't know those guys are selling a lot more widgets to pay for those those baseball cards but i'm 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 learning that football cards are getting pretty expensive too you know i i every now and then i try to pick one up and i'm like wow that that's three times what i wanted to pay for it but you know it's it, the good thing about our collection too is people know it, it, these these cards are off the market. I mean, I I have 35 or 36 PSA 8 Namath rookie cards now. Wow. 
But my first ones, but I was buying them. Your... They were sixty-five hundred bucks a piece what? when I started buying them. Wow. So that's that's, that's your hoard card. That that's the card that you hoard is the the Namath. Yeah, or whore car, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's that's the one I go after. I just love the card. I love the tall boys. And no wonder they're, no wonder they're twenty thousand dollars now, Robert. That's you. Yeah, they got up to forty thousand. I backed off at about twenty five, and then I waited till they settled down. And I listen. There's only like seventy five of them, and do you know how hard it is for those cards to be centered, and how hard it was for those cards to survive because of the size of them. It's there's there's oh, also yeah. like that that psychological thing about them. They're they're pretty special cards for a lot of different reasons. Without a doubt. So that was a, that's the first cards that I ever opened when I was a kid, seven years old. It was a '65 Tops, and uh, I still have my name as rookie from when I opened it back in '65. And then that that's going down with me when I go. See, because uh, see, how I, did I know to know, pick that's, that? That's great. It's uh, you know it's my memory as a childhood. Uh, my childhood memory is so vivid. Buying those packs and opening them and so on and so forth. It's, it's, yeah, yeah and, you, and you heard the story of Joe with that when he took that card, that photo for that card, right? No. Uh, Letterman had him. We have it at the Hall of Fame, a video where he's on Letterman and Letterman pulls out that oh, card. Yeah, yeah. And you know, and he he was in the hospital when they took that card. Right. Right. And right, he and right. he leaned up against the wall because he couldn't stand. Yep. And yep. I think the photographer yep. said, "Joe, the show must go on." <laughs> that's and that's yep. when they took that picture. Yep. Yep. Incredible! Yeah, I didn't he did, know that. Wow. He definitely didn't have a smiling face on that uh, on that card. That's compared no, to he said he was in, that he was. He said he was in pure pain. <laughs> wow. You know the other question I have, because the collection is so big, uh, it has to be difficult to store and transport. Are there any tips you can offer uh, individuals as far as shipping or storing a collection of that size? You know, giving it, you know. Well, parallel it to people who have, let's say, 30% of what you have. They're still having a tough time shipping it or, or storing it, so on and so forth. Any tips or any ideas on that? Well, I live in Naples, Florida year-round, so the hurricane thing is a real problem. You know, it was a real uh, thing. I mean, we, we got lucky because, number one, I drove the collection up from Florida to, okay. to Canton. Um, okay. Had it insured for a lot of money, prayed, prayed a lot. But, um, <clears throat> you know, temperature control is a little bit important. Um, you know, once they're in the cases, they become a lot more protected, which is really good. And, you know, plexiglass yeah. as a whole is ultraviolet protected. People don't realize that. They're, they're, there's about 80% protection on it. Um, a lot of people, when they sure, insure their collection through a separate policy because it's not covered under your homeowner's insurance, they get a traveling policy. So the cards are insured if you ship them up to X amount. I think mine's like fifty thousand dollars. I could, you know, ship any card anywhere up to fifty grand, and as long as I, you know, I, I don't send it certain ways because they don't even want you, insurance agents don't even want you to ship it FedEx if possible. But right, how do you right. how do you not ship cards FedEx? And the U.S. postal system is usually not as as good in my opinion. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. I think it's a lot of it's a sad leap of faith, and I think all you can do is insure them and, and hope for the best. You know, I think that's that's really my advice to collectors. And you know, for storing them, I mean, I never like safe deposit boxes because I never liked having them away from me. I bought a bunch of Century fireproof cases, and um, you know, and I. I you you can't obsess over the value of them. It's it's it, it, it could drive you crazy, yeah. believe it or not. It could drive you crazy. So insure them, I mean, en enjoy just, them, and and hope for the best. Just the the size of it. I, I mean, at one point, I I had the number one Hall of Fame rookie card set, and I had a six foot tall fire safe filled with the cards, and then there was overflow. Mm -hmm. I mean, so just I I know just the breadth of that collection just how much it weighs how hard it is to transport i mean i just yeah i mean it's just it's tough yeah it, you know once again i drove everything the hall of fame <clears throat> stored everything for us in their fireproof rooms you know they have the archives at the hall of wow. fame so mm -hmm. that was mm -hmm. all part of our like agreement plus you know 
I have so many, like, I collect sideline jackets from the 1940s and 50s, but worn by the players. You know, I like, I mean, <clears throat> if you knew the depth of what I collect, I mean, we have the first documents when the AFL was first, um, you know, first set up. I have the earliest known football rule book. Even the Hall of Fame didn't know it existed. So, like, you know, Walter Camp, you know, there, there's so many things we have in the collection that isn't even out there yet. But, you know, in time it will be. And I, it got to the point where I was just afraid for – it wasn't the value. If something happened to it, God forbid, and I got the, you know, the value out of it, that would have been one thing. But it would have been a disaster for future generations to seeing these things. Right. Yeah, right. lost. Right. Yeah. yeah, so that was my uh, main thing. Curious. I mean, other than the obvious 1977 top Steve Largent rookie card, what's your uh, favorite card in the collection? <laughs> Listen, for the size of Largent, it's amazing he got that far, that short little guy. But he, he, he tells a good story. He tells a good story. And I actually, I actually like hearing him speak, believe it or not. Um, yeah, I did. You know, I, I mean, the Nomalini probably because it was the last one. You know, when you complete something and you have a goal. Yeah. You know, 95% of people can never accomplish goals for a lot of different reasons, and it was like a big weight off my shoulder. And it was like once I clicked it into PSA, and it, <clears throat> I knew we had a collection that was at that point the highest, you know, collection or the number one collection. I, it was like such joy. And and <clears throat> and if somebody eventually merges five collections and has a bigger collection someday, and they want to put their name up there. I'd be just as excited for them. It never was about like me or us or proving anything. It was ultimately became the sense of accomplishment. Good for you. That's that's such a classy answer. I, I really you. like that, Robert. No, thank you. That was the truth. Well, I think I, because of the breadth of the collection and and the depth of it and the historical value of it, I think anybody putting it together and, you know, from what you've been talking about today and what I've read on it, you know, you're doing it for the love of the history of the game and preserving the history of the game. Something I've always been very big on that if we don't preserve the game, the history of the game, the memorabilia of the game, we've lost everything. And, and again, we can't be an NFL that started in 1970. Our NFL started in 1921, whether anybody wants to believe it or not. And you have to incorporate the AFL and you have to take things from the, USFL and the WFL also, that type of situation. So I think what you did was just was just unbelievable. I mean, I'm 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 literally speechless to even ask. No, and I wish I could share it with more people. I mean, I still think the Pottsville Maroons got robbed of the championship. Oh yeah. <laughs> I, I, I I have Blood McNally when when Blood McNally retired or when he went to Green Bay from the Maroons, they gave him a key fob in the shape of a football carved out of anthracite coal that is engraved with his yep. name and his number. And I actually, and I found that at an obscure auction years ago. And, you know, I love the Pottsville Maroons. Like I'm, I love the history. I love the patch brother photographs of all the colleges. I mean, that's the one thing, like I don't spend a lot of time talking to people about the collection or my love of the game, but I've even offered some of the collectors, and we know who they are, the people with the big collections from, you know, the early 1900s, the, the, the really rare, obscure cards. I'm even hoping someday they come to us to, to, to buy them so that we can merge them into this collection so we could expand the history of the game. You know, I mm-hmm. think that's like the one thing is I've, I've, I've studied it, I've learned it, I'm living it, and, um, and I, I, you know, at the end of the day, what, you know, we can't take it with us. And... You know, and and if it's about money, you know, we, everybody could figure that out. I'd love to see the Hall of Fame have a whole section of the archives of the cards, the history, things that are important to the game, based on what us collectors put together and exhibited for for generations to see it. And you know, and that's that's really where I came from and where I'm going with it. And ultimately, when people talk to me, when they hear you know, my reasoning and my theories and my excitement, hopefully, like you said, you leave with a better understanding of why I did what I did and why Dan did what he did. Well, that's, that's very, that's very true. And it very true. And the way you explained it, I mean, it was so, you know, it's so logical. It makes all the sense in the world. And uh, 
I, I give you guys all the credit for doing what you did. I mean, it was a, it's an, it was an amazing undertaking to yeah. try to complete something like that. I mean, you know, it's, like I said, it was the best collection ever assembled in our hobby, and I've been in the hobby a long time, and uh, it's just it just amazes me, amazes me. I'm going to put you. you on the spot, Robert, for a second, and I want you to um, give our audience any advice for being a beginning collector of football cards. I always ask all our guests that question, and uh, very interested to hear what you say about that. You know, I say don't buy volume. I always, I always like the idea, like if you, if, if try to find the one thing you're passionate about, whether it's a player or a team. Buy a little bit better of a card than you can afford. <laughs> That's always my thing. If if you want to spend ten dollars on a card or a thousand dollars on a card, spend twelve dollars or a thousand one hundred on a card. Buy a little bit yeah. better. Buy the highest grade you can you can afford, and um and and because there is a value to it. There there is a, there is, they're they're expensive. They're big commitments to people, and and they are investments now. We we need to view them as investments, whether you know the old time collectors like it or not, and. Like, you know, you may not be buying a Bart Starr rookie card, but, you know, his second-year card at a PSA 7 is a darn good value or a PSA 8. You know, there's there's things out there to kind of, like, decide where you want to go with it. And buy, I'd rather see somebody buy one great card than 400 okay cards. The, the volume good isn't point. always what it's cracked up to be. Good point. Very good point. Early on in my collection, I had a, a guy who ended up becoming a dear friend who knew I was putting together a good Hall of Fame set, like, called me. And he's like, you just bought a, a PSA 4, 48 Leaf Steve Van Buren. What are you doing? And I'm like, well, I wanted to fill the spots. He's like, don't. Just be patient. Uh, you're, you're splashing it around. I know what you're doing. It was just, it was some of the best advice I got, you know. He's right. Uh, just that's that. And that was the beginning of just that camaraderie in the hobby for me, where it's just somebody took the time to do that. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm curious, Robert. I mean, you mentioned it sounds like you did a lot of the buying uh, and hunting and gathering. I mean, you know, did Dan Hunt ever like you know scour eBay or scour auction houses? Were you guys looking at these things together, or did you do most of the buying? I, I did all the buying. We just didn't want to cloud it. Like he didn't, you know, you, it, it's, it's real particular because he kind of like he knew the whole collection as we would acquire it because he and I would talk about more like we'd go on PSA and we'd look at where we were. And he kind of knew like what we needed or what we didn't need when he, he kind of left it up to me, which was great. Like the, a lot of the little needs he, he let me handle. But, you know, when when a big purchase came, you know, like we, we bought the um, PSA 9 uh, Jim Thorpe. You know, it was a big commitment. I had to call him and say, "Look, we're going to go after this thing, and where do you want to stop?" And where, you know, I mean, you know, there's. It was more uh, like once things started getting towards the end, it started getting real serious and real expensive. Yeah. And I needed a Bronco Nagurski eight for my my Chickle set or Chickle set. I everybody pronounced it Chickle set, but then I also needed a Nagurski eight for my Hall of Fame set because the one thing I didn't do is I didn't double up the cards. Cards in the Hall of Fame set. I are not the cards in the the 35 set, if that makes sense. So yep. I had yep. a I had a duplicate. So that's why we have two Nagurski eights, not because we really wanted to spend that kind of money, but because we felt we needed to to have a perfect collection. See, so you, you meant I, I would imagine you know the Hunt name doubles the price when you know Dan Hunt comes uh comes a looking for a card. So that makes that, sense. It not only doubles it, it makes people say they don't want to sell it. That's what we were yeah. afraid of. And, yeah. you know, and yeah. then, like, yeah. you know, honestly, there were a few cards I was going after that the owners of them told me they, they were actually contacted by other football team owners to, that were interested in buying the cards. Oh, fascinating. Wow. So, like, just, just like the guy that owns the Diamondbacks, he, other people that own sports teams are becoming collectors now in cards, especially of their early team, you know, their team players. So uh-huh. it, you you had to make a decision really quick, and when someone put a price on a card, you had to be willing to jump on it 
and he kind of gave me carte blanche on most everything. Probably would have on everything, but I always respect him and his family, and his, you know that that I would call and be like, Dan, this is the price. Are we good with it? And I think he always appreciated that respect too. You know. That's cool. You you mentioned you're still looking. Uh, of course. You've got one of the of nicest Hall of Fame sets put together, and I mean. But you're you're you said you're still looking at Rose Bowl. What is, what is your white whale? What what are you looking for? I kind of got all my whales. I mean, I you know I you know I I would have you know I like would I buy the Nagurski nine if the price if the owner didn't put a crazy price on it maybe because I I'm still a realistic person. Like I think my whale it just hasn't been presented to me. You know what I mean? Like it's almost like a whale captain. You don't know what whale you're going to get until the whale shows up. So. I, I never chased particular cards because I felt like that would that was like a, a, a no-win situation. Um, I know um, Frank Gifford just got popped a, a 10 for his rookie card, which is, is incredible to me. Wow. Um, and then the price that got offered just was out of reach with what I would have considered. But you know, I also like when things go to auction because it's a fairer playing field than when I buy privately. So, mm-hmm. you know, I don't – I don't know what I'm looking for until it shows, and I I would always consider upgrading if something good came about. Interesting. Huh. Yeah, not and a that's perfect a good point about auction. Um, yeah, no, no, it's good. It's yours. I like it. And you mentioned I, I I'm sorry. I just have some. I as you were speaking, I was jotting down questions I had. I could talk to you for an hour, Robert. Uh, <laughs> you mentioned you had an uncut sheet from the 1930s. There yeah, is one yeah, no, I'm sorry, it was, it's 40, 45, or 48 is my earliest one. I don't have a, a, a 30. I don't have a 30 sheet. I don't have a chickle seat. I don't, I've never even seen a chickle seat, sheet of you. No, that's my no. white whale. <laughs> yeah, I don't think yeah. – I think my, my earliest one is a 48 leaf, and then I have the Bowman sheets, a whole bunch of those. I think that's where it starts. And then wow. I, I might have a couple of sheets of, like, some of the obscure – like card companies, like just like not star, but one of the other ones I have a few, like, um, what is it? I, I might have a, a small sheet of a couple of the early candy companies from the thirties. I might, I'd, I'd have to go back and check. I just, I can't remember. Yeah. Yeah. I think Pete, Pete candies or something. P E T. I might have a sh- sheet of like four or five of those uncut. Wow, that's amazing. Those are hard to store. I, I've really become a uh, uncut sheet collector, but they are a bear to store. Pain in the neck, you know. Yeah. You got wobbly plastic sheets all over the place. <laughs> indeed, yeah, indeed. <laughs> so, uh, Unbelievable. Uh, I, I'm, I'm curious. I, I one last. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I have one last question. If you have time, Bob. Yeah, I, I'm not sure if you visit chat rooms or chat boards, or if you're aware. There's kind of a, you know, kind of a, a, a scandal going through the hobby right now about, uh, you know, card trimming, card doctoring. Yeah. Uh, yeah. How familiar are you with that, and how 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 much, like, do you read hobby chat boards or anything like that? You know, I got on there and I got in an argument with the guy, and he, you know, he, he like busted my balls about, oh, sorry, busted me about collecting the cards, and like I, and I found myself getting defensive, and I was like, okay, this isn't healthy for me, you know, I'm only 48, but I, I don't need to be getting all worked up over this stuff, you know, so I kind of got off of them. Um, I have a pretty good, I have pretty good advice for collectors on on that, and I have a a, a pretty decent opinion um and i i I equate it to collecting artwork nobody fakes or doctors things that are less expensive like if you're gonna Mm -hmm. make a fake painting you're gonna make a a rothko painting you're not gonna make a lesser painting i think in my opinion i think the majority of the doctor cards are baseball cards because that's where the value is it's worth them to be be thieves and be deceptive and be criminals on an because if you're going to go to jail or you're going to get found out you're going to do it on an expensive Mickey Mantle card as opposed to a freaking 48 Luckman card like I I would I would almost guarantee 
like the football hobby hasn't been affected as the baseball card hobby. Now, will that change as they become, you know, m- more expensive? Maybe. But I think baseball cards have a real problem with that because the values have just gotten so high. And there's a couple masters out there in what they were doing from what I heard. But I still think we're protected. I think that's going to be an issue for PSA or the grading companies to really figure out because that's where the buck stops, in my opinion. When I buy a card, mm-hmm. I've never – none of the cards I ever put in this collection, I ever got holstered myself. So I've never sent cards into PSA to be graded. I always, I always depended on them to grade a card that I was purchasing. So I, if, they're, if they're putting their label on it, their name on it, their reputation on it, and they tell me it's a PSA 9 and it turns out to be a fake, they, they should have insurance. They, they need sure. to, that's, that's why we pay them. If I pay somebody for a service that they're not providing properly, they're liable to me. And I really yep. think they're going to have to come to terms with that. And with, you know, you could almost magnify something to find out when the inks were done. So right. I, I think they, and you know, there's 10 different graders. I think they need people to take, I think you really need, you know, based on the value of the cards and what the cards are, you're, they're going to have to really make sure they have a more professional thing out there. Not that they don't. I love the guys at PSA. I'm not, you know, I'm not putting them under the scope either. I'm just saying, the minute they chose to do that profession, then they became liable to the whole industry, in my opinion. Yep, I agree with Good that. Point. I agree with that. Well, we're almost out of time, Robert. I thank you so much for being on. I'm, I'm literally speechless hearing the, this uh, this show tonight. It's just really amazing. You have an incredible collection, and I'll put you on the spot. Uh, do we have a line on cheap? tickets by any chance since we know you now or or uh <laughs> I mean I've been to I've been to eighteen listen, the first painting I sold to Dan, I sold to him for cost. He wanted an expensive painting. His family had to make sure he was gonna get it. He found it through another dealer a lot more expensive and I told him, Look, I'll sell it to you for exactly what I'm paying, but I want Super Bowl tickets for the rest of my life. <laughs> I, I've been to eighteen Super Bowls, guys. Holy <laughs> And there was a five-year, probably a seven, eight-year period where I really wasn't as friendly with Dan. And every year, uh, two weeks before the Super Bowl, he would call me and say, where do you want your tickets, Robert? (laughs) Good on him. Good on him, man. I like that. He's, I got 400 stories for you, but I know you guys got to go. It was an honor for me to be on the show tonight. I thank you. Any collectors out there? My email is my name at AOL.com. You can see how old I am, Robert Casterline at AOL.com. Any collectors want <laughs> advice, they want to email me, they want opinions. It takes me a little while to get back to them because I am a little, I'm super busy, but I, I do reach back out to people that ask me questions. I feel like it's, it's my way of giving back to the hobby. Oh, that's great. That's so great. Amazing, Robert. That. It has been a, it has been a so privilege, uh, an honor to have you on. You're welcome, guys. Have a great night. Thanks again. All right, you too. Bye-bye. Joe, we're we're literally almost almost out of time. I'm going to hand off to you. Like I said, I'm literally speechless tonight listening to uh, him talk about the collection. It just just blew me away. Classy. To say the least. Classy. Unbelievable. The uh, the old Simon Sinek, start with why. Start with the why. We heard his why. And I, I'm very pleased to, to know that somebody's just as passionate about the hobby like that, not just assembling stuff, but right. truly right. passionate about the hobby and its history. And, you know, the, the one thing that sticks out in my mind when he says, you know, to accomplish your goal, and he, and he felt relieved. And, it, and I found it very interesting. The last cards from my run were the high numbers from the 48 Leaf set. And my 48 leaf set is from is from poor condition to near men. It's every which way, and I really never bothered upgrading it or anything like that. But I couldn't tell you when I finished that last card and I put it in my nine pocket. I just said, "Wow, this was this was a nice run. This was really a nice run." But unfortunately, in my case, I didn't know what else I wanted to do, so I kind of just slowed down from that point on. 
You know what I mean? And that, that was yeah. about seven years ago. But amazing. Yeah. What an amazing, amazing. All right, we're almost out of time. 30 seconds, show. Final thoughts? Just classy. I just that just hearing the breadth of his collection because I've always pinned him as a football card collector, but to find out mm-hmm. just the breadth of his collection was impressive. Yeah, I, I never realized he had all the other peripheral items in, in the collection, and just it, it blows me away to to uh, to hear about it. All right, we'll be back in July with a couple of shows. Check out our website, gridirongreatsmagazine.com. If you're not a subscriber, back issues are available. Joe, I won't see you for a while because you won't be at the National, but we'll be in touch. And I thank everybody for listening. Good night. Hey there, Sports History fan. This is Arnie Chapman, a.k.a. the Football History Dude, and I wanted to thank you for stopping by to listen to another episode here on the Sports History Network. Our podcasters are passionate about uncovering and sharing sports stories from yesteryear. And if you didn't know it already, we have over 30 shows across the network covering all sorts of sports history topics. In fact, here's a glimpse into one of our awesome podcasts here on the network. Do you wish you knew more about the 100 seasons of the NFL? You're in luck because you found the Football History Dude Podcast, where each episode is a journey back in time to learn about the rich history of the NFL. From the founding of the league in an auto showroom, all the way to what it is today, America's favorite sport and a behemoth of an industry. My name is Ernie Chapman. Football is my passion, and I want you to come along with me each week to explore the yesteryear of the gridiron. So hop on board, my DeLorean, and let's get this baby up to 88 miles per hour. How about that? I bet you're super hyped to go listen to that new podcast, right? Well, to learn about this show and all the other podcasts on the network, head over to sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Again, that's sportshistorynetwork.com forward slash podcast. Head over there today to find your next favorite sports history podcast.